pretty heavy, huh? But uh, I couldn't help but during that think of, like, holy smokes, uh, best turnout ever. Hello, look at this for a church planning informational meeting. Have you ever had a turnout like this for a church planning informational meeting? This is fantastic, working with Spence Lohman and the launch student organization here on campus. He told me, stop by. He was just kind of spreading the word about church planning and inviting anyone who's interested and ready to commit to being a part of it, that he just said they would be showing up here around 10 and we'd be able to talk. So this is awesome. I mean, I can't believe the outpouring, uh, how God is already moving with us all here. That's kind of funny. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Yeah, so about five to six years ago, I went on this prayer and vision tour in eastern New York, New England, with one of our districts in the Wesleyan Church, and that consisted of vision for the Northeast and just a desire and a passion that was welling up to reach the lostness of that region. Uh, we kind of know that as the secular region, it's post-Christian out there in the Northeast, and the popula uh, population density is just crazy, and the district out there was trying to get leaders and learners together to just dive into that and stare at that reality a little bit and let it bother them. And so vision was kind of based in trying to stir that, and prayer uh, just consisted of kind of like looking at the demographics, the actual numbers of reality of, again, how many lives actually live there as we went on this little motor coach bus tour. Uh, didn't go more than four hours from any single point out and about, but came upon uh, 20 million lives in that little area, in what we would consider a, a great area of lostness in our nation. And one of the things we did on that tour is we stopped at some of the Ivy League schools. As just, I think we were just trying to, uh, trying to create time and space to take in what we were feeling, what we were seeing, what God was stirring in us. And we stopped at Yale and Brown and at Harvard. And it was, you know, obviously a life-changing deal for me to be a part of a prayer and vision tour that just looks into the lostness, takes time to let God, you know, mess with you about that, that, you know, might cause you to do something different with your life and how you're going to lead it and live it. And it was just an amazing moment. And the two real thoughts that came from that is like this reality of lostness. Man, oh man, our backyard is in bad shape. And it's too easy to, to follow Christ and band with others in doing that and be in such a radical chase of our own because we are all so messed up ourselves. But the worst thing about that is we, we forget others don't even know, you know what we know and we, we turn a blind eye to that. And so every pastor and leader and learner that was on that tour just w was shattered by just that, the, wow, the lostness. And one of the little phrases that I picked up from one of the leaders that was on that, they said, um, who's going to take uh, responsibility for this lostness? Who's going to take the geographic responsibility and say, hey, if it's like that there, let's take responsibility and say, let's do something about it. Let that be on me and us and those of us that band together to go after that. So that was a lasting impression is just, man, the lostness. It's crazy. It's overwhelming. And it ought to be. But there was something weird about being at the Ivy League schools, right? Yale and Brown and Harvard, that if you want to talk about the Western world and since the 1600s and the forming of it, somewhat the minds and the lives that have shaped and formed it, that's kind of like the epicenter of the thought of what the world has become. 
like what you and I go through in the culture of North America and what it now is, really came from the minds that were in there and the radical possibility of the students that filled those walls in those halls in their day, what they imagined and thought of and created and you know, uh, decided to give their lives to, shaped everything. And that, that was like a profound part of the experience was realizing that and what I went away less than thinking them of as Ivy League schools and colleges or universities that would be great to go to to get a degree or something like that. Like, no way, those are thought centers. Like the center of thought, of thinking people that think about the condition of the world and how it is and then they spend time thinking about how it ought to be and then they study and they collaborate and they work together and they dream big and they innovate and they imagine a different way forward if, it's, if it is a thought center and not just a college or a university that you go to for a degree because you have a job that you want to get and you know, live with. It has the capacity to be that. So while the lostness and like while the possibility though of young minds that fills the walls and the halls of our universities being the ones who imagine a different way forward could look at how it is and think best about how it could be different and then band together and stick together and for Christ in his church, they would live their whole life. Crazy little story that I don't have time for, but I'll go into anyways. Harvard, on like the signature symbol, emblem of Harvard, it says Veritas, which means truth in Latin or it's the Roman mythological goddess uh, uh, Veritas. And it, that's what's on the emblem, but I read this article on a blog that when you graduate from there, it also says, though, et Christo Ecclesia. And in the 1600s, when that campus was formed, it was actually for Christ in his church that it was founded. And the students all there, they made a commitment that everything that they do and they have and they live and they breathe and their being would be for Christ in his church. And yet something went crazy adrift in all of that. Okay, didn't have time for that, but I thought it was interesting. So those two things, just let's camp out on wow, the lostness and dang, the possibility uh, of us in this room as a thought center of thinking about how it is, but how it could and ought to be in, in our call to live for Christ in his church in this world. The video kind of sums up this first point. I don't need to go long. I'll save some time here. Oh, good, good, good idea, man. Okay, radical lostness. 200 million unreached lives in North America. Third largest mission field in the world is our own backyard. That's crazy. In the Northeast where there were the 20 million lives just in that little area that we went in, the evangelical presence is estimated to be 2.15 to 5.35% of an evangelical presence in the masses of all those people. That means like creed-following, Bible-believing, personal relationship with God that they stay on the chase of in their life and they believe that that's supposed to go to all the world and is what everyone is looking for. Only like 2.15 and 5.35% of people live like that. Spread that out over the country. 200 million unreached lives all around us. And what we do need, we, we're, it is really hopeless without you in this. We need lives and planters and leaders and teams to raise up and want to do something about that. And imagine a different way for it to look as it goes forward. Same function, different form of the church in this world that interfaces 
interfaces with those 200 million other lives who don't get it yet, haven't understand it, hasn't been brought to them relationally in word and lived out in front of them and across the table on a napkin yet. We got to think about that a lot. And we got to think about the possibility in this room of changing the scorecard, changing tomorrow because of what we think. Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, back when we were on the tour, was kind of just on the scene a little bit. That was only five or six years ago, but that was that fresh. And look how transforming that. While he was going to school, he thought of that. Now, it wasn't like once he gets done, then something great is going to happen. It was while here. I was asking my son that. Uh, he's almost 17. He'll turn 17 next uh, Tuesday. And I asked him, what do you think you'll do while you go to college? And the reason I asked him that, not because I'm a smart parent, is I've noticed he's thinking like that. College will be something he do, does while he's trying to change the world. Here's a cool passage. I was thinking, this is all about church planning, right? This is a church planning informational meeting. You're now committed to the movement. Thank you. This is all about it. And the verse that I thought of was in the beginning. This talks all about church planning, and I've never actually thought about it that it talked all about church planning so getting ready for this. But Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3. Check this out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He planted the first church. Had to make the world first to do it in it, but his people that would follow. So he, was, he created it all. And now the earth was formless and empty, the one that he made, and where it was dark and where there was darkness over the surface of the deep, the Spirit of God, what he did is he went and hovered there with where he made this world and where it was formless and where it was empty and when it was dark, he, he went there. He invented and imagined and produced and made the world and the cosmos and everything within it. And it was all of his creative power of imagining and thinking of what he wanted and wanted it to be. And a lot of the time I spent thinking through this for this was we think about how awesome God is in his recovery mode in his redemptive work, with his grace and his forgiveness. And it is, because that's what saves our lives that are fallen and broken. But think of how good he was before that, when it was just pure, un, you know, uh, just all out creating. It's almost like building a house from scratch versus remodeling. Think how awesome it was just under his first construction and what that actually looked like. It's amazing. So he created and created everything in it. And as he created or how he created and what he created, he shaped and filled and lit where it was formless, empty, and dark. If you go into it and use a thesaurus and come up with the other words that look like this, this is something like it sounds like. And think of this activity, which is describing discipleship. This is describing the activity of the church in our lives as we live for Christ in it in this world. It would look like this. Where it is formless, he shaped and fashioned and molded, he cut, he twisted, he carved, he planned, positioned, and set all things how they ought to and were supposed to be. Like in his creative power and on his best day. You know, that's what he did. When the, where it was empty, he filled it, crammed it, stuffed it, lined it, packed it, poured it, moved into it, occupied it, it provided for it all things how they ought and were supposed to be. Think of doing those things. Don't you want to do those kinds of things with your life? Aren't you hoping like the career you go into like will unleash those kinds of things within you? 
where it was dark, he struck and ignited, he lit, he lighted, illuminated, exposed, uncovered, he lifted, turned over, dusted off, all things beautiful, how they ought and were supposed to be. And I, I think, man, why, why don't I live daily more aware of that's what I'm doing in this world when I'm engaging in it and living a day for Christ in his church? Bringing things back towards you know, that condition, the way they ought to be, the way, the way they're, they're supposed to be, live in communities and churches and uh, cities and the town, that our landscape needs that. Man, lucky to have these three here, Sharon. By the way, I'm Phil Struckmeyer. This is Troy Evans. This is Danielle Freed. This is Jim Bowen. We don't have a lot of time for introductions. We can hang out later tonight. But uh, Troy and Danielle and Jim are just going to share stories that really flesh this out and how they've fleshed it out in their lives and their plants and leading these kinds of things, shaping uh, the formless, filling the empty, and lighting the dark. Sometimes the, uh, the idea of missions, or uh, it is, or it should be, um, going to underreached people groups. Um, that's what God called my wife and I to do. Uh, we, we decided, um, for some strange reason, that we would, uh, we would go and reach a subculture called the hip-hop culture. And uh, somehow we decided, like, man, what if God is saying that hip-hop and the church... Um, the subculture that, that exists, that maybe God wants to be in the middle of that, and how does that work? And we just said, well, we've been doing that for centuries, but we just decided to do it overseas to, un to reach underreached people groups. So we said, man, what if we did that? So we both had our professional careers. I'm an engineer by trade, um, and she's a fund developer. And we said, like, what if we went and we went to plant church right in the smack dab in the middle of where those 200 million exist and create a church called the EDGE Urban Fellowship. The EDGE is an acronym which means to evangelize, make disciples, spiritually grow, and then uh, and empower people holistically in the midst of the hip-hop culture. Here was the reality and what caused us to go there. There are 50 known gangs. There are 70 um, 70 percent of people in our, in our community lived at poverty. We have 49 percent of our students not graduating from high school. We got 36 percent of students not um, reading at reading level, and the list goes on and on and on. But what got me so much was that in West Michigan alone, there's one million people in our city that does not in, our, in West Michigan that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord. That messed me up. And as a believer, I just couldn't sit there and be lame and not do nothing about it. So we said we would plant this church and we would do it. And we went to some crazy people like Dr. Wayne Schmidt, and he said, let's do it. And we planted this church. But I want to talk to you really quickly about the results. It wasn't church as usual. It wasn't the grandmama's church. It was, it was a place where there was a building, yes, but uh, the, the church service was maybe 5% of what we're about. It's the other six days of the week where church is living out by regular people. Let me tell you what God can do. There's a guy by the name of Mark. He's actually sitting right there. Um, Mark, um, I don't know, 13 aunts and uncles, 60 plus uh, cousins. Mark is one of two of the men in his family that are not addicted to drugs or alcohol. In a family that size. His uncles, I'm being one of them, were both in, in, in involved with leading gangs in their city, large gangs. 
drug infested. I just asked him this morning, I said, did you become numb to the community in which we were raised in? Every day, I mean, gunshots and drugs and alcohol, everything just running, right? Growing up in the basement with an uncle, that's a pimp. The likelihood of him making out of there, at-risk youth, the likelihood of him making out of there was next to none. But there's a God and there was a church that was willing to reach him right where he was. This guy by the name of Mike, mother on drugs, father gone prison his whole life, dude basically um, living on his own since he was 12 years old with his grandfather who has dementia, needed a daddy, but that's my son now. My son now, he's been my son, and now he's going to school to be a pastor. If there was a place for him, he would go. And lastly, there's a guy by the name of John. If you looked up gangs in, Grand, gangs in Michigan, vice lords in Michigan, his face will pop up everywhere. One of the most deadly people I've ever met in my life, and I met a lot of them. I got a call one day while I was working as an engineer at Red Cross. And John said, uh, hey man, I think I need to change my life. And I think you're the only person that understands me. Is there a place for me? And God came into his heart, and not even a year later, I baptized his wife, he and his wife. Our first men's group was led by this, I mean, he got big five-point stars on his face, these tattoos, and I'm not talking about some fake tattoo tears, I'm talking about for murders, for real. But there was a place for him. It was called The Edge. My push to you is that maybe God is calling you to go to a subculture. Maybe he's calling you to make a dent in that 200 million. Do something about it, quit being lame. Well, I'm Danielle, and I'm not at a hip-hop church. I wish I was. Um, I, 15 years ago, I was in chapel just like you are today with my boyfriend who was a Bowman boy, by the way. Thank you very much. And y'all don't know nothing about Shatford, but that was my place. And he had this dream to plant a church. And that was what we talked about on almost every date was, I'm going to plant a church someday, plant a church someday. And five years ago, now my husband, he and I got to see that dream turn into a reality. We left our secure jobs at our traditional church to fundraise our income and become missionaries to Noblesville, Indiana. We knew we were living in one of the most affluent suburbs in the country, but our hearts broke as we realized the true emptiness that existed in the lives all around us. People in Hamilton County have plenty of money, they have big homes, nice cars, and lovely possessions. But we could see people who, despite their worldly treasures, were lonely, hurting, addicted, and empty. 80% of our community is unchurched, so as church planters, we wanted to create a church for people who are far from God a place where they could fill their emptiness with the love of Jesus. And that's how Waterline Church was born. This morning I want to share a story of how my friend Megan and I were able to take the love of Jesus into a crazy place, somewhere I never imagined that ministry would take me to a strip club in Indy. Waterline Church is on mission to fill the empty. We go into strip clubs to intentionally build relationships and bring love and truth to people's lives. I was in the club that night with Carolyn, who's the director of the ministry, Megan, a 22-year-old newlywed nurse. We were immediately approached by her server, and she said, I've been waiting for you guys. I'm like, us? <laughs> the Christians? And then she started to unzip the side of her costume. We looked at her. She said, one of you wrote the meaning of my name on a napkin last week, worthy of love. 
And I've been wanting to get a tattoo right here for a long time, and I just could never figure out what to get. When I saw the napkin, I knew that was it. So she shows us a large tattoo, loud and clear, worthy of love. We had no idea what that girl had been through in her life at that point when Gia wrote the meaning of her name on a napkin. We found out that night she had been a youth pastor's wife, and she had two kids the same age as my kids, two and four. She had recently left her marriage because it had become abusive. She worked as a stripper to get herself and her kids out of a homeless shelter and then became a server at the club to make ends meet and provide for her babies alone. Later in the night, she came back to our table and shared that she was also battling cervical cancer. She had her final treatment coming up. Shocked, I just stared at her. She was worthy of love, and my heart broke. I started wondering, what can I do? What should I do? And I'm just staring at her. And then Megan, not the ministry director, not the church planter, but the 22-year-old college grad, said, could we pray for you right now? Amanda said, yeah. She sat at our table, we laid hands on her and prayed for her healing and for the Lord to be near her while she was fighting cancer. Amanda is now cancer-free, and Megan was a key part in helping create movement towards Jesus for Amanda. Amanda is still putting her hope in Jesus, and even the cancer part of her story is something she knows God is writing. Now we spend time in the dressing rooms with the girls, and we've left a prayer request box out for about a year with an incredible opportunity to support and love these ladies. We bring them gifts and have opportunities to care for them in their lives outside of the club. We have the blessing of affirming who they are off the stage and filling their empty hearts with real love. Waterline is taking our calling seriously to reach people far from God. We build deep friendships and show people that they too are worthy of love. For John and I, chasing our dream to plant a church and leaving the security of our jobs to become missionaries to our community has been the most exciting ministry of our lives. God is blessing our efforts to fill the empty with the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus with real relationships. Our movement is expanding all across the north side of Indy as we send out our church back to their community to spread love give hope, and breathe life into the emptiness. So light in the darkness. When you think about light in the darkness, we like to think about a floodlight, like something that just comes on so strong and wipes out all the darkness. But light in the darkness is handled by a measurement of that. A handle of a floodlight, a measurement of a floodlight is candle power. Candle powers are one light at a time. And I want to introduce you to one light at a time where light moved into lives of darkness and it's making a change and a difference in a community that so desperately needed it and we were called to on mission. This is Adam. Uh, this first guy's Adam. Adam, I first met him as I met him through his sister. We first met his sister because one of the ladies in our church went to the tattoo parlor to get a new tattoo, which her husband had owned. She struck up a relationship with him, and then by doing that, she came to our church. And by her coming to our church, she nagged and nagged her brother, Adam, you've got to come, you've got to come, you've got to come. So when I first meet Adam, he walks in, and I'm like, hey, man, so happy to meet you. I, and he goes to me, I just want to tell you, the only reason I'm here is because my sister just kept nagging the bleep out of me before, so I would come, so I'm here to shut her up and nothing else. Adam, is a, he had a great story. All the way through his youth, he was in the juvenile and correction, uh, correctional facilities. Even into his young adulthoods, he spent time mostly in correctional facilities. Out of that, the only family that would take him is the biker gangs of Detroit. He got into the biker gangs in Detroit, and that's where he spent most of his life, deep into addictions and deep into hatred for those around him and the life that he had to live that he was put into and no one would come around him. That was his only family. So in that moment, we strike up a relationship. God does something 
something amazing through his heart in that service. The Holy Spirit works deep into his heart. Out of that, I invite him over for lunch. He's like, why are you inviting me to my house? Don't you know who I am? I'm like, yep, you're coming over to my house. We start up this relationship. Then he invites me to a party. He's like, I want to warn you. There's going to be a whole lot of stuff here you're not going to want to see. I'm like, I'm okay with it, man, wherever you are. This is the thing that happens out of that. Out of that, we become friends. Out of his friendship, he opens up to what I have to say about the gospel. The gospel seeks deep into his heart. The Holy Spirit works in there. He accepts Jesus into his heart. He's still suffering with addiction. He's still suffering with hatred. But just this last week, he asked me for two Bibles. Why? Because he has two other friends that he wants to read the Bible. And he's like, will you come read it with him? Because I don't have any other way of doing it. Light into darkness one at a time. This next guy, his name is Pete. Pete was a manager of a strip club. He was married to a stripper. He was freshly divorced, trying to figure out how to be a single dad. I'm coaching youth baseball. He's like, hey, can I help coach? I'm like, yeah, come on board. So out of that, we strike up a relationship because we're doing something for the kids, of, the kids together. And out of that, we start to know him. And out of that, I start to share who God is in it. By my, the light that was lit in me, it starts to light a light in him because the Holy Spirit's working through that friendship. Out of that friendship, he is no longer a manager of a strip club. He's working at, a, he's working at a, uh, electrical supply company. He's living a life that is so much better and so much more structured because he wants to give his son the life that he deserves. And his, Pete's quote is, I'm trying to find the Pete that grew up in church and I so lost him so long ago. A single light lit in the darkness. This next person is uh, Wendy. Um, Wendy's got a great story. I uh, met her through her, her children. As, I, uh, um, as we're going, Wendy has four, four strokes and three heart attacks in one year. I spent most of the time in the hospital getting to know Wendy as she's recovering. And the one thing she says to me, I found Jesus because when I woke up, I saw your smile. Because I was willing to be there for her and be a friend to her in her thing. She grew up in a very tough household. She grew up as one of three or four wives in the household of the, of the family that they lived in. It was multiple families, multiple wives. It's a different kind of culture. It's a different kind of experience. It was, high, it was also a place that most marijuana and heroin was sold out of most of the times. The daughter who grew up there said they never had a working bathroom all the time they grew up there. Wendy has accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior, and she now is continually bringing her family and her nieces and nephews and grandkids to the church so that they may find that hope. A single light lit in the darkness. This next picture, this is LJ. LJ's a, oh, it's pretty, pretty hard to see him right there. Well, right there, we're working on a widow in our neighborhood's house, getting her ready for a, a fall cleaning so she's ready for the winter to go through. LJ is a kid in our neighborhood. He grew up uh, not really knowing his dad. His dad's been in prison all of his life. His dad is Bohemian. His mom is Nicaraguan. His grandma is Polish. He has a really hard time figuring out who he is. And out of this, he gets into a lot of trouble throughout the day. We first meet him just because he's around the neighborhood. Then we start bringing him to sporting events with us, and he starts plugging into sports. He lived with us for three weeks this summer because his mom just couldn't handle him anymore because he was so addicted to video games and getting into, and getting into trouble, he was stealing from her. So he came to live with us to help break that addiction and to find a life. LJ is finding a life to live, and it's out of that a single light is being lit. He knows that Jesus is a Savior. He has a hope to come. He's got a male structure around in his life because we we're willing to open up our doors to that. And so many people in our church are doing it. It is one life at a time lit on fire for Christ that breaks the light into the darkness, and that is how we win. I think about the worship stage here today, and Becca Roth is up here in the worship band. I baptized her so long ago when she was in seventh grade, and now she's here doing that. My daughter's here on, kind of visiting and seeing, like, this is where she wants to go today and shadowing of it. Another picture you could put up there is my life. I was so far from God, so far along in my life. You know how you know that? Because backstage today I said Wesleyan, and someone's like, 
oh, you didn't grow up, did you? Because this is Wesleyan. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess not. I guess I didn't. But to be here today, it shows the lightness that God can do in every single life. That one, light, one person willing to befriend a sinner and to show them the gospels, how that's lit. And as you leave here and as you go out into the world, I plead with you, each and every single one of you, strike up those relationships. You're thinking, I might never know Adam. I might never know a Pete. I may never know a Wendy. You will. Adam has a kid in school. If you're going to become a teacher, you're going to come in contact with him. Pete, Pete he works in the uh, electrical business now. If you're going in a business major, you will do business with Pete and you'll be able to strike that relationship with him. If you're going into the health field, the health sciences, Wendy's going to be a patient there for you. There is darkness all around and you have a chance to interact with them as you leave here. And the call earlier is for you guys to go out and to be into the church. No, I want you guys to go out and be the church. Because when you go out and be the church and you bring that lightness one light at a time into the darkness, you can make a world of difference so that lives and generations are changed. Because if that didn't happen, if I wasn't befriended and light not brought into the darkness, I would not be here. But I don't know what happens with back in who she baptized by. I hope someone, right? You know, I was Adam and Pete and their family. And my daughter now going to come into a Wesleyan college, right? I never thought that could be possible. But it can is when we bring light into the darkness. So as you go, I plead with you. I plead with you. Go and be the church and bring light into the darkness. I gotta, I gotta cool him off a minute. Hang on. <laughs> okay. As planters, we, if you got a lot to say, you don't reduce what you say, you just talk faster. That's how we play. Um, Jennifer, what should we do at this point? Yeah, okay. That was, yeah, I don't know. Man, hero status with lives being lived for Christ in his church. Hero status here. And just the possibility of doing something about the lostness in our backyard. And if we are willing to lay it all down for um, just lighting the darkness, filling the empty, shaping um, where it is formless, and giving our best and biggest dreams and imaginations to that, and our calling, no matter what the vocation is, yes, ministry students, but yes, teachers, and yes, business leaders, and yes, in the medical field, and yes, in I mean, it's going to take all of us living for Christ in this church. And the deal of why this is so about church planting is church planting is not something you do. It is actually the result of this kind of living and this kind of chase after God and in this world that there will be so many bands of Christ followers being raised up relationally and in these pockets that the result of it is a movement of church planting that we have to see in this world. The worship team is coming up. There are cards at the front here that um, you're semi-committed by just being here to the movement, but you're that much committed, more committed if you come to the front or at the back uh, have these uh, information cards with ways to engage more in this. That there are students a part of Spring Break Alternatives spending their summers out in the mission field of church plants around North Khmer. We're a, a network, Nitrogen is the name of the network, that helps you guys get there. Helps you, you know, get connected to the city you want to go to, the career field you want to get in, taking the gospel to those places. So there's uh, opportunities to get involved in that. The two most pointed would be tonight, from 7 to 9, we are all, I'm calling it a church planner hangout, and we're all hanging out in um, Jones and Henry 
right off there in the mallway. There'll be food and drinks and like an ice cream deal at the end, but just time to talk about our dreams and our ideas and think through what's possible and get connected to where you want to go. There's a couple from Kingswood University that a year ago had the same kind of thing on their campus. They currently live in Tampa, Florida. They're now married and they're part of a church plant that's getting ready to plant again down there. Young lives that are doing that. So come tonight, 7 to 9, for more of that kind of conversation. And then the big idea that um, we're really trying to launch out of this is called In the Beginning, Reaching Our Own Backyard. It's a church planting plan, proposal, and pitch competition. Locking that in. So it's a church planting competition, and it's for the student body as a whole that uh, teams of three to five of you get together to plan and get, make a proposal and then make a pitch, kind of like a shark tank, dragon's den kind of deal that we're going to be talking all about this tonight. And then you, uh, later in April, later this semester, will be when we get finalists and do the whole deal, but we'll help you get to where God is calling you in this mission field of church planning. The one couple from Kingswood, they won uh, the Kingswood campus competition and it worked. They're actually on the ground there in the mission field, you know, doing that work. So there are real dollars to be invested into these plans, um, real processes to get, engage in as we move forward. And I hope God has said something amidst all of our words to you today uh, to call you to this kind of purpose. I'll pray. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your will for this world. Uh, you made it so amazing. We broke it, but you've done nothing ever other than try to call us back to it and call us to helping you get it back to what it ought to be and is supposed to be in this world. Help our lives uh, be lived like that. Help us lead our lives like that for your son in his church in this world, we pray. Amen. All right, guys, we're actually going to go ahead and dismiss. You're free to go out and just go and be the church. If you want to come up and talk to them and get a card, I strongly encourage you to do that. They have a great ministry going on. We're going to sing one more song, but you guys are free to go.